0: Welcome to Decision Space, Space. the only show to take place right here in the space between the turns in your favorite games. I'm Jake Friedman.
1: And I'm Brendan Hansen.
0: And this is the podcast about decisions and games.
1: And this week, we're jamming cards like it's 2001. Well, sort of. We're taking on Rift Force, a dynamic, hand-management, modular setup dueling card game in which players draft unique player powers, represented by elemental guilds like grass, fire, ice, shadows, crystal, we ran out of elements, to wipe their opponents off the board. So we're doing our classic deep dive and also promise you we're going to do, in real time, Jake might not even know we're doing this, a tier list of elemental guilds where we're each going to give our thoughts and then we'll create a ranking and then we'll read it out on the show. Jake, are you are you excited about that idea and are you excited about this episode? I'm
0: such a big tier list fan. I just like put everything in my life into tears. I can't help it. I think that's something that the fighting game community stuff I've done before has really rubbed off on me. So I'm, I'm into tier lists. Let's do Castle of Burgundy tile tiers next. Let's go.
1: Amazing. That's going to be, a, we'll do a micro mini episode just talking about tiles. Jake's not even joking. I've seen his tier lists of breakfast foods. Also, <laughs> I had issues with it, but I can't remember what they are. So more importantly, moving on, Jake, I want to know your thoughts on Rift Force. Let's kick it off with your your pithy review and rating.
0: Okay, I am giving Rift Force a nine point five out of ten. Whoa! Rip Force is. I mean, it's it's a it's a Jake game. I love dueling card games. It's probably my favorite genre, and this gets so much about that right in such an elegant and small rule set that makes it accessible to anyone after five minutes, which I think is a huge burden to overcome with so many other games in the dueling two-player card game space. I I have a couple issues that keep this from being a 10 for me that we'll get into later. But I mean, this is just an elegant game, small package. And the thing that's impressed me most is how much I've learned about this game and how my thinking about it has continued to evolve with every subsequent play. Uh, So easy to learn, difficult to master, enough said.
1: That's your highest score in a long time.
0: It's definitely my game of the year so far for Decision Space.
1: Yeah. And we're six months in. I feel I was going to say I'm like teleported back to 2001 where you actually liked games. (laughs) Okay, so here's why, Jake. If you're looking for a fighty hand management game that plays differently every time, Rift Force is the game for you. Starting with the draft, the decisions in Rift Force are interesting, rich, and seemingly really nuanced. There's ample room for strategic counterplay and interesting tactical shots, And while there's times where Rift Force plays impeccably and has the flow and back and forth of the best dueling games out there, I think, unfortunately, there's also moments where the whole affair drags and interesting downbeats uh, that the check and draw turns create sort of feel clunky and frustrating rather than harmonious with the rest of the design. However, the unfolding depth of the decisions phase really does have me hooked. So I'm giving it eight riffs out of 10. Uh, There's only... five riffs in the game though so i guess this is a, a modified four out of five riffs what do you how's that how's that work
0: sure i, mean, I, I do don't know, know. You, you make like, up what the is rules. the scale i don't know scale. <laughs> you do whatever you
1: want right awesome <laughs> <laughs> wonderful so a bit of game background this is a really new game it came out in 2021 and it was designed by carlo bortolini and published by one more time games which i believe is carlo bordellini's company uh, and that he kickstarted the game and then it was picked up for distribution after really successful kickstarter by companies like capstone and other publishers to help give the game a wider release and i think this makes a ton of sense because riff force has the feel of a lot of really classic sort of battle line style card games like lost cities or battle line of <laughs> or shot and Um, and i think even will sort of appeal to the type of Board gamer who likes games like uh, a newer game, Airland and Sea, where you have this line of locations between the two players and you're vying for control of those. So all of these sort of fall in this like battle line dueling card game subgenre. Yeah. Is that fair?
0: Yeah. No, I think that makes a lot of sense. And I think one of the things that's so clever about Rift Force as a product is that I think it can really capture the imagination and appeal to people coming from that Euro game. Ryenercinnizius space and people coming to this from something like Keyforge or Magic: The Gathering or any other number of sort of like more uh, American style LCG or collectible card game.
1: Totally, which is really a, a pretty remarkable achievement, and the way that it does it is really clever with the different guilds. But I think we should get into that after after a little bit of housekeeping, which is that next week. We're either going to be covering (laughs) Lost Cities as sort of a companion piece to this episode, or we're going to be doing a what we talk about episode on sort of two connected but different topics, which is the size slash scope of decision spaces and the idea of depth. So... Pre-planners can just play Lost Cities and prepare. It'll come at some point, whether it's next week or the week after. And if you'd like to sort of give us your thoughts, well, after this episode releasing, you might have 24 hours to weigh in on if you'd rather the episode be Lost Cities or this is what we talk about next week. You could do that just by coming to our Discord or sending us a message on Patreon. If you're a patron and you'd like to support the making of more episodes like this, uh, you can find our the Discord link in our show notes. And if you're interested in some sort of, oh, I, I like Decision Space. Or, oh, this is my favorite board game podcast. I really want them to keep doing this, and I want it to exist, and I want to support its existence. Check out DecisionSpacePodcast.com slash Patreon. And that's awesome. Now let's just do the real thing, which is the actual show, which we love. And I know you want to hear us talk about Rift Force. Yeah, so let's jump
0: right into to Brendan's rules overview, and then we'll get into the meat of this discussion.
1: Rift Force is a hand management battle line style dueling card game for two players. Here's the hook of Rift Force. Each play is functionally unique. Every game begins with players drafting a team of four elemental guilds, each with their own special activated power that informs the decisions that that player will make over the course of the game. After the draft, players vie for control of five lanes, or elemental rifts, to which they will play cards and try to remove their opponent's presence through dealing damage with activated effects. Each player begins a game of Rift Force with seven cards. On their turn, they play one to three cards from their hand to the board. These cards must share a value, five, six, or seven, or a type fire, wind, crystal, gems, etc. Or they can activate one to three cards by discarding a card, and the activated cards must share a value or type with the discarded card. So if you discard an earth, you can activate three earths on your board, or if you discard a six, you can activate three sixes on your board. The final option is that if a player has fewer than seven cards in their hand, they can check and draw, gaining points for each rift that they have a presence in where their opponents do not, and also draw back up to seven cards. Players also gain a point for destroying an enemy card, and once a player hits twelve or more points the game end is triggered then after their opponent takes one additional turn the player with the most points is crowned the victor
0: i think that was a really strong intro i think we really nailed that pat on the back awesome
1: thank you i can't even tell if we're recording right now because that was lovely of jake to say on the air so i'm just gonna play it off as we are i think we did a good job too there was good flow there just like the the draft of this game i think has really good flow
0: yeah we're getting better with each and every podcast just like one would develop skills
1: in. okay no that's too much maybe well maybe <laughs> I, I feel like i've plateaued in this game but the goal is to get better and better you probably feel like you're getting better and better because we keep playing and you keep beating me by more.
0: well yes and no because i would say so we've been playing with uh I think both of us have been playing like repeated games against the same other third party, which is Cerule in our Discord. And he also has a podcast, or they have a podcast that I would love to shout out. Uh, It is a French language podcast that I do not know the name of off the top of my head. But I will correct that in the edit and include a a link to that in, in our show notes. It's called Board Game Duel. So... I've been playing against Cerule and what I've found has been so interesting about this game is that we are just going on streaks of wins. So Cerule's beating me many, many games in a row and then I'm starting to figure out something new and then I'm beating them many games in a row and then it kind of has switched back and forth instead of like trading off games and I think that has given me this sense of that real improvement is happening yeah. in the gameplay more so than if, if uh, you know, we're just like alternating
1: wins. To me, that is also indicative of the fact that there are different real skill, real steps on the skill chain in this game where you sort of get to a new level. You can win for a while. Someone catches up. Then they eclipse you on the skill ladder and then you have to sort of unlock a new understanding of the systems of the game to get to that next rung on the skill chain. You eclipse that person and you're sort of taking turns crawling over each other up the skill ladder as you're sort of chasing each other up the skill ladder and deepening your understanding of the game.
0: Yeah, and I think that's something uh, just in really general terms that really appeals to me in the the dueling card game genre are games that have like a clear in high skill ceiling. And I think that this Mm. accomplishes that, um, you know, any game that is due drawing from a deck of cards, uh, is going to have a high element of randomness, right. Uh, and chance by virtue of drawing cards. And so I think, you know, it is really important to me specifically that, there is enough of a skill ceiling there to balance out that, so it doesn't mm. feel like a chaotic and random affair. And I think uh, that was one of the things that really hooked me on Keyforge initially uh, was just realizing that as I get better, like my win rate is cons- becomes consistently high. And I think that is something that I've I've seen mirrored so far in my plays of Rift Force.
1: Yeah, I think that that's really interesting. I feel like we're doing a subsection on what draws us to us to this type of game before we get into like our typical discussion of the decision space overall. And I feel like another key point that maybe for me pulls back my rating slightly with this one is that f- what draws me to these games, Jake, because obviously we're both huge fans of KeyForge and think it's like the best thing since Richard Garfield invented cardboard, um, is... Oh, <laughs> is the potential feeling for creative problem solving in the games uh, where you feel like you're doing something that the game allows but doesn't intend. I think that that's what makes me love Keyforge, right? Where like I get to do a thing and I feel like, oh, maybe I'm the only person who has a deck that will ever let me do this. Or you see a combo that it's sort of like, wow, how did this these three pieces come together to create this amazing synergy? And where A plus B plus C is equal to more than A, B, and C on its own. Um, And I think that there's some of that in Rift Force, but one thing that's interesting about the systems for me is that I think a lot of the combos are, uh, you put A and B together and there were slightly more than A and B on their their sides, but they're sort of, you don't go beyond that, right? There's not, there are some three card combos, but it feels somewhat linear. And I think that the ways in which I feel like I've learned more is through the structure of my cards within certain lanes and how I'm laying out different values and that's where I'm getting better at the game I'm not getting better at using the powers because the powers themselves are more straightforward in this game and linear and the creative depth comes through the actual positioning which I think think speaks to the strength of this genre to contain ample room for like nuanced implications of simple changes with where objects in the system go yeah. and that's what makes the system so good well and the, the powers are good because they make the game approachable like you said but if you're drawn to a game because you're into super cool different powers they're here and they're gonna hook you but that's not where the depth exists yeah, Is that fair i think
0: I, I i am halfway with you i think okay for me i'll take halfway yeah i think for me definitely i agree that like the biggest
1: learning and improvement
0: i've experienced with the game is in how I am playing out my hand of cards
1: and whether it's looking at the type or the value yeah, exactly or, and, yeah. and
0: figuring out like the uh, but a big part of that has been, you know, more recently is like figuring out the best way to layer my different suits within uh, those rows, the various, yeah, the, the various battle lines for, for lack of a better term. Yep. Which does have to do with the powers. And I do think it, you know, obviously Keyforge. Uh, I guess some games are sort of now trying to replicate that, but Keyforge is sort of in a class of its own for uniqueness of deck. But yeah. I do think there this has an element of that. I mean, I haven't crunched the numbers myself, but you have nine different
1: suits in the game, right? Yep, I've crunched the numbers. Are okay. you going to say team comps? Yeah, what's the number? Yeah, what? 5,040 different team compositions in the base game. Right, so
0: that is a lot of play before you are exhausting the possibilities of, of learning the ways different powers interact with each other. And yeah, and I do agree like mostly as of now I am, I'm identifying like really strong two faction synergies Of
1: course, right?
0: Like, okay. Ice is really, you know, reliably good with thunder because thunder allows you to target any of your opponents, uh, elements in their battle lines you could pick the back one and then ice does extra only attacks the back one and does extra damage if it's already damaged so having those together in a battle line that works well together but just to finish my thought like it is becoming more and more clear to me that the synergies go beyond just picking out Mm -hmm. uh two element uh synergies and trying to jam those together because there are some you know sets of three and four that just Create like more, you know, uh, like a sum that is is greater than its individual parts. And I haven't yet like been able to like identify or put my finger exactly on like what, you know, three and four set combos are going to, you know, bring out the best in all of
1: them. It's very interesting. I feel like as much as we can, Jake, for people who haven't played, let's go. Let's try to define like the whole card if we can. Yeah. So like with thunder, deal two damage to any card in the row. If that destroys a card, do it again. And uh, ice says deal one damage to the last card in the row and in, in the column. Except if there's already damage on it, then deal four instead. Um, I feel like it, I'm mixed because I do feel like what I'm saying. I know that there's depth there that goes beyond this, right? And I've had those moments that feel really cool of of finding those synergies between three of the groups or finding a core that works really well, where it's like, okay, you have Thunder, which allows you to damage the back row, and Ice, which takes advantage of that. And then you bring in something like Earth, and maybe early on, Earth, uh, when you play it, deals one damage to every card in a column and deals two damage when you activate it to the first in that column works really well because maybe you can lay down your thunders and ice early and then save a lot of your earths to play them all in a turn later and sort of overwhelm one of the columns where your opponent has stacked up a bunch of cards they're definitely there Um, but I, i do feel that this claim and now i feel like we spent way too much time on this but this claim of the depth comes in the positioning as much as it does in the combos is key and maybe a feature of the game not a bug that we should be aware of upfront because I think the game sells itself about being as so much about the powers and it is, it changes the feel dramatically, but it's also, and maybe it's because the game is consistently the same in terms of the positioning, the values and the types. That's where a lot of the depth comes in, but let's talk about the shape and the feel and the type of decision space. Let's do that. And I have more thoughts on that
0: conversation, but I think that they will come up later in this Yeah, it's going
1: to, like, intertwine with everything we discuss, I think. Do you want to do the honor okay. of, like, defining the decision space?
0: Oh, man, I should have thought about this before we started recording. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that the decision space feels, I mean, I don't think it's waxing, and I don't think it's waning.
1: It's uh, dynamic.
0: So, yeah, I was right? it's either static or dynamic. And, I, I, you know, I think you could make a case for either or. Uh, Just because, you know, there are really strong static characteristics of the decision space, which is that you will always have three main actions that you can choose, sometimes only two if you have a full hand of seven cards, which is, you know, check and draw, activating or playing Mm. cards. Uh, So, I mean, that is going to confine the band of the decision space uh, to a really small, number of care uh considerations up front um and then when you get into each of them i think like again right you're only going to have one or two possible decisions that would really make sense when you look at your hands to of what cards to play um yeah. or, and then same with like activation because that's going to you're going to a need the right card to activate it and you know you need to have uh opposing elementals opposite of your damage dealing ones to to choose those. So again, like you're you're so constrained, all of those things are doing so much to constrain the decision space and yet I find when I play this game like tons of tremendously challenging uh decisions to make within that, right? When I'm choosing even if I know I have to play out exactly these three cards because they're maybe the only uh Set whether it is a number set of, of three fives or a set of you know three of the same elemental that I can play. It's the only way to get three elementals out on the board. Determining like where to place those, whether all three in the same row or spread across the board in three different uh, rift areas or battle line areas, which I guess yep. is the term we'll use interchangeably, uh, is really tough. Um, mm. And I think like you can. Really, if you want to sort of like go deep into thinking through the implications of any of those, and I think the same is true when activating cards like there there are so many of these like little decisions that come up that isn't on many of them it's not just activate deal damage though some are like that um, but when you have an element elemental like water uh, which allows you to do two damage to uh, the a, Opposite elemental in the front of the line opposite it, and then move left or right and deal one damage there. Uh, Think about the implications of moving that elemental around, both in terms of the composition of the following lanes, where you want to deal damage, um, you know, how much damage is on the water elemental itself, because moving it is likely going to hide and protect it by getting to the back of the line. Like, there's just a ton to think about in any one of these spaces, which kind of makes the decision space feel I get, I, you know, I still, I still struggle, like it's small, but large, you know, and I think that's kind of a hallmark of a great game for me, or at least a game that I tend to really get drawn to.
1: I think that this is going to tie into our conversation, whether it's next week or the week after really well, because I think it's, it's a s- small decision space, but it's a deep decision space, Right. right? And I think that that's the interesting thing about this game. Like the the number of options you're presented with aren't massive, but the, the number of meaningful considerations that goes into one of those decisions can be quite large. And the cognitive abilities that you're being asked of by the game are within reach for you. Like it's not so much meaningful information that you're like oh whatever it means nothing because there's too much to ever care about no like it's just on we've talked about on the show before jake how some of the best games sit just beyond the ability of your own cognitive horizon i think this game is that way where you'll find yourself making mistakes some small percentage of the time but that makes you want to try even harder right um, to like parse everything. I I feel like... So I agree it's dynamic, right? The, the check-draw system and the way that your hand is building up and shrinking down really makes the game feel like you have this dynamic flow of decisions where things will branch and then constrict a little bit and then branch again. And the board is building up, but it's also shrinking down and how that happens matters. And I think also importantly... Every game has the potential to have a different shape depending on the elements that are in play, which I think is also kind of something that we've talked about in the past as being this sort of like textbook flag of being a dynamic decision space where different plays of that game can feel differently. And I think that if you like games like that, Rift Force has that in spades. But you said something where I kind of want to kick off the next discussion that is leaving our notes behind slightly and then we can maybe return to them. But that's it. I think that the rule book never says defense there's there's no word of like in this mode you're playing offense and in this mode you're playing defense and like when you're thinking about the decisions in this way you need to think defensively and when you activate your abilities you need you're thinking about the offensive and defensive abilities but it is in the game it's just hidden within the rules and i think that that's where a lot of that depth comes in like you were saying jake with okay maybe i'm going to use my water uh my water seven in this lane to deal two at the front but it's because i want to tuck it into my next lane to the back where it's going to be safe hiding behind these other cards and prevent them from using a maybe their shadow, which l- allows them to move a shadow element and deal one damage. But if it destroys something, they get two for it. Maybe I need to take a downbeat turn to move my water elemental that ha- one damage will destroy it allowing them to get two points so i'm moving it to deal damage yes but i'm playing defensively to hide it behind and i think that those defensive elements are what i was talking about earlier of the depth in the battle line system of this game where it's not just what cards are in what rows it's what cards are in what position and what rows that can really start to feel like it matters and i like that so many of the powers jake aren't just having to deal with oh i'm dealing damage here it's how am I structuring my rows? And then also powers like the air elemental and the earth elemental is how can I structure the nature of my, of my playing and drawing to make the most of this effect? The air elemental says move and deal one damage to the front of each of the new column and the adjacent ones. Because I think those have real implications for the whole way you approach the puzzle of trying to control lanes. So. There is a lot of depth here in the way that things are interacting.
0: I, and to just go back to kind of your thought about the learning and improvement in this game doesn't have as much to do with syncing powers together. I think that's true, but that is what add what creates that texture to the board state yeah. that you're yeah, trying yeah. to parse. And I think the more that you play with similar combinations, right? Like if, if you're like, okay, I, I really like water and fire. So I'm I'm using, I'm trying to draft them when they're available and learning a lot about how to use them best. That's going to help you, you know, you're not going to necessarily learn more about that water ability that we've sort of talked about at depth, right? Because all the abilities are so straightforward, but I think it will improve your bandwidth while playing the game because of like being able to like just better intuit the situations when you need to be you know, shifting from offense to defense. And, you know, when am I using this aggressively? When am I using it defensively? It's difficult for me to untie the powers and combinations from that tactical board play.
1: Yeah. So much of your skill in the game comes from not just how do I best attack my opponent, but how do I, through clever battle line placement, mitigate the strengths of my opponent's powers? And it's hard without playing those elements to know how you can best play against them
0: right and i think it's fun too like like in this conversation we're already so far from the first time i played Rift force and what i was thinking about right like the you're very,
1: only thinking about the combos
0: and you're only thinking about like damage i think right yeah or just yeah, like yeah. how am i getting you're just all offense like how am i scoring points uh, yeah and that's a. Uh, you know, really, really analogous to tons of other games, right? We're just like, okay, I'm just like going for, you know, max efficiency, max points. Like, what am I doing here to score the most points? And that, you know, ultimately is not the best way to play the game in, yeah, in most situations. But you know, it that's all. It also, you know, it just kind of speaks to I think the strength of the system that, like, that is a way. Like, you're definitely playing and engaging with the game in the same way in those initial plays. But as soon as you're done with that first play, at least for me, I was like, okay, I've done this all wrong. Like, let's, let's shuffle up and play again because I've, you know, I'm already like seeing the errors and the ways I can do better. And like that feeling for me hasn't stopped, even though I've played this yeah. game probably 30, 40 times now.
1: I think that this game shares a lot in common with Keyforge and that one of the most skill testing aspects is that the skill in this game is not just about what cards you play, but about what cards you choose not to play to save that resource for the future. And I think you you were kind of getting at that Jake where like the skill in this game comes from like I could play all 3 of these crystals down, but maybe I want to hold back my crystal 6 and just play the other two so I can activate both those crystals at a different point in time with that card or activate all sixes and that playing it to the board actually doesn't create much value so i take a quote-unquote inefficient turn and just play two cards so i can keep that card in my hand and that hand management aspect that's where that really gets highlighted in my mind and i really like that aspect of the game right what if we talk about the draft and i feel like one thing that i didn't define in the rules explanation that would be helpful is just right now, now that we've talked about the game some, to define the deck composition of all these decks. Because I think that that does inform the decisions a little bit. And every deck in the game, right? So there's 10 elemental guilds. Each of these decks has four value five cards, three value six cards, and two value seven cards. Okay, now let's talk about the draft.
0: All right, great. So this game is a game that has very clearly two distinct parts. Uh, What we've been talking about thus far is the second part playing out the game as a race to get 12 points. But the first part of this game, you will actually draft your deck uh, live against your opponent, which I think is a really fun uh, and engaging way to sort of balance this. I mean, they could very easily, I mean, you could very easily play this uh, as just each person getting dealt four random elements and shuffle up your deck that way. But that's not what the designers have done. So instead, you'll, you'll... shuffle up all 10 i think we said nine earlier but there's 10 uh guilds in the game you'll discard one uh randomly deal each person one that they're starting with and then you'll take turns drafting from the remaining seven until both people have four guilds
1: i love that you randomly get one that you're forced to play with at the start yeah i think that that makes it so much more interesting because like you said jake you There's this tension in the game where you do get comfortable with certain guilds. And I think being forced to have one at the start is just enough of a signpost to say like, try to do something with this, right? I don't, I end up, that's how you end up playing sort of compositions that you might not normally end up in. And I think is pushing the player just enough to sort of say, learn more of the system, learn more of this game. And there's so much to learn that it feels good.
0: It's like a forced exploration of the decision space. Yeah, in yeah. A, yeah, in a way that honestly like, is, I think, kind of bold as a design decision, right? It's like you might not want to, you might hate, I don't know, uh, shadows, right? That's that's just, you yeah. don't like playing it. It only does one damage compared to everything else. Like you haven't been able to make it work. But now you're starting with shadows, and it the game puts you in a situation where you have to make the best of that. Yeah. Uh, and that might cause you to draft one, you know, other elementals. Or, or guilds that you haven't played with before as a, like, okay, well, if it didn't work when I, you know, tried to pair with ice, maybe it'll work when I try to pair it with water. Um, and I think, you know, that, that is definitely adds a fun texture to the draft and it also shortens the draft. So you're only making yeah. three selections each. It's, you know, it's lightning quick.
1: I think it also makes it such that if in a certain meta, if there becomes, uh, a certain localized player meta, like if two people keep playing together and they become favorite guilds that are viewed as being really, really powerful, those would become the obvious opening picks that you would always go with. But because you're forced to get forced to pick a specific, not even pick, because you just have one at the outset maybe it changes the way that you've, it recontextualizes how you view all the other guilds, which means that your opening picks are going to have more variety than if it was just pick one of these nine, which then you might settle into just picking the same ones at the outset over and over. And that gets kind of stale. So it's a nice way to combat that problem. And I also really like the, the draft. This is not a hidden information draft at the outset. You're picking from seven guilds, like Jake was saying, because I have one, Jake has one, and we've discarded one. So it's really interesting to have part of the skill of this game, be able to analyze that information and sort of say, what are the possibilities from this point, right? These seven are remaining. What would be the best case scenario for me? What's the best case scenario or what's the best case scenario for Jake? And how do I prevent that? Well, having the best case scenario for me. And I like those sort of higher order decisions where you're sort of being forced to think, okay, it might be really, really good for me to have X, but it'd be worse for Jake to have Y. So maybe I have to pick Y first just to deny that from Jake.
0: Right. Exactly. And I think, you know, I've been really, just like in the gameplay, like I think how my decision-making and kind of knowledge this game has improved in the draft portion thus far is really uh, like not, oh, like not trying to say like, I'm so smart, but like i really feel like I'm learning a lot and Like, the draft has just become so much more interesting to me the more I play it. And I was talking to Cyril about this a bit as well, and we were both feeling like, wow, the draft, we're at a place playing this game against each other now where it feels like the draft portion is just as important as the second part of the game, you know, if not more so. Like, it feels like you can, like, lose the game in the draft. Mm. And also importantly, like... You know, it seems like, as you were saying, everybody agrees that, like, X and Y elements are the most powerful. And so the draft becomes really stagnant. I think Gem. we'll talk about our tier list, but Gem is the only uh, element in the game that does four damage as, like, a base power. And that's just uh, apparently strong. Uh, So, you know, early on in the game, I think a lot of players might kind of gravitate towards that as being the strongest. But I think as I'm playing more, like I'm realizing that the power level of each element is so tied with the synergies that exist for it that you know you might take if if you know as both players realize two really powerful synergies, um, like so say Sarul is killing me because he keeps drafting gem and healing, which is I guess uh, light together, yep. um, then you know if at the start of the draft he takes gem even if i think there's something else that exists that's stronger on its own than light i might take light just so he can't have that combination and now we're already going down a brand new path for the draft than we've done before
1: yeah i do you think that every vile, every pair set excuse me not pair every set of guilds could win in this game could you end up with a set of four that are just not good enough
0: i i don't think so um and i think that, that this also gets to the other thing that's really revealing itself to me about this game which is that it's not just the synergies that matter but it's that different uh combinations of elements as they encounter a different combination of element is going to create a board state that plays out totally differently so i think yeah. you can get which and and by that I mean like some boards are going to be uh more stacked up, you know, like both players are tend to have a lot of uh, elements in the same uh row column, column. Uh, and you, there's no limit on that in this game. So theoretically, you could put six in there if you wanted to. Whereas others are spread out. Uh, some games just end up having a lot of elements on the board at once, and other games it's constantly whittling each other's forces down. So I do think you can have, I mean, like there's a huge element of player skill. So like, I, I mean, I don't think that there's any four that like it'd be impossible to win with, but I think there are combinations of four that are going to put you at a huge disadvantage against uh, the, uh, the four that your opponent has ended up with, if that makes sense, like within that context.
1: And I think certainly some groupings of four are more flexible in the shape that the board can take, and some are much more restricted in sort of the viable paths In terms of how you build things out are i think just to leverage potential synergies that exist but i think now is probably actually a really natural time now that you've brought it up jake is to talk about the decisions in sort of like going wide playing to lots of cards to lots of different lanes or going tall and playing lots of cards to individual lanes because i think that that's where the decisions end up being really, really interesting. And one thing that we've talked about is we've mentioned a lot, one of the ways that you score points in Rift Force is destroying other people's elements. Every time you destroy an element, you get a point. If you destroy someone else's crystal, you get crystal element, you get two. And if you destroy something with a shadow, you get two. Um, But another way is just by controlling lanes, which means, or or lanes, columns, rifts, we have many words for this now, uh, is by eradicating your opponent's presence there. so Or maybe they never had a presence at all. And when you do the action check-draw, which means you check if you control any lanes. If you do, meaning you have cards on your side and your opponent doesn't have cards on theirs, you score a point and then you draw back up to seven. Um, Let's talk about going wide versus tall. Because I think this for me is the most interesting part of the game now that I've played 30 or so games. This is where I'm sort of like, these are the most important decisions. And they're the decisions I'm less, least sure of when I'm making them. Um, yeah. Even from the beginning of like how to approach when to start activating cards, because you could even, you know, you can play out one hand of cards and then you have a choice. You've, you're going to drop back up either way. Do you start activating those effects or do you just like layer more cards down? You know, like that's another valid choice of when do you start using your rows? What's right. the critical mass of types and 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 values yeah i don't know i don't know you
0: don't have an answer yeah it's hard i don't have an answer either but i think like at a base level one like it's good to have an elemental in each row that does a couple of things for you it makes it so that if your opponent for whatever reason doesn't have any elemental in that row uh it's so it's, it's adding it's applying pressure to them that they should put one there In order to stop you from getting that free rift point uh, every time you check and draw, and that pressure is very real in this game because you're only going to twelve points. Uh, It's not that many, so you know an uncontested row early in the game is is one point towards your you know that's one twelfth of the way to victory. Uh, So it, it helps you there by putting pressure to your opponent, and it also, of course, is blocking your opponent from having that same type of advantage. I yeah. think where things get uh, interesting though, is knowing also when like not to contest the lane anymore. Right. Yeah. So if your opponent has three, you know, earth elements in one row uh, that they could just, just, so earth, it does damage when they play it down. So earth elements tend have the tendency of stacking up in a row because, a lot of times a really strong play would be playing three earth elements to the same row. If you've accumulated them in your hand and dealing three damage to each element of your opponents in that row. So earth, but once they're down, they're staying put, they're not moving. Um, yeah. Cause all they do at that point is just two damage to the element in the front of the line ahead of them. Um, so they have a tendency of stacking up in rows. And at that point, depending on you know where in the game you are, you, you might be in a situation where like it's not worth it to you to try and contest that. Because if you place an element down there, uh, they can activate potentially next time and just immediately kill it, maintaining their advantage, and you're just feeding them an extra point for no reason. Um,
1: if you've played three crystals somewhere, I'm going to be hard-pressed to add a single card there.
0: Right, because it's just so much damage that's coming at you. Uh, so yep. i think that uh is really a consideration of tempo like where mm-hmm. in the game are you a do you have a chance of being able to like overtake and actually like win that row um you know it and how many more times are somebody is somebody going to to draw again because yeah. it's not like you can a you can't check and draw if you already have seven cards in your hand uh and b like it's not very efficient to keep going back to that well if i'm playing down three elements and acting, activating three elements elsewhere, you know, if you're just getting, I'm probably going to be getting more value than an opponent who's trying to take advantage of a single open rift that they have by, I don't know, checking and drawing every other action. Like that's, that's just, you're just going to get decimated on value in that case.
1: Right. And it becomes even more so if there's two uncontested Rifts, and they're getting two every time they do that. Then I think that's a clear path to victory. Oh, yeah. I think there's a chance you can win this game by conceding one Rift at some point in the game, like you're saying. But once you get to conceding two, you've kind of conceded the game. You have to buy for at least having a presence in four of them. But not all lanes are created equal, too. Right. Um, the center lane is very, very important because every time that you, if you want to put down cards. Like Jake said, you have to either put them all to the same row, the same rift, or spread across three that are adjacent. And five divided by three, you're always going to overlap with that center row because you can't swing around to the left and right. So that puts us like a ton of pressure on that middle row, uh, I feel like, in that middle middle lane to to struggle against. And it, it plays this sort of outsized important role. Right, um, And then other rows become... Increasingly important, just based on the resources that have been committed there, like we've talked about.
0: It could be viable to win the game giving up the outside row, but column. probably yeah. not. Or yeah, the outside column, but probably not giving up the center column, because so that means you're just relegated True. to using, you know, the two outside. Rows or columns. Dang it. Uh, each time you're trying to play elemental, and that's just like that's then you're giving up the efficiency. It's
1: too much forced efficiency. Yeah. I think the yeah. other
0: things to think about when you talk about whether I'm going to go wide or tall, tall is like the the order of elements that you want to play. So I think like my first level one playing of this game was like, okay, gems are super powerful and deal a ton of damage, so I need to like slap them down first. Yeah, but now that I play it more, it's like you know, what's really sweet. Is like having a really powerful gem element out there that's protected by having like something you don't care about as much in the front that they'll have to try and go through first, all the while taking massive hits of four damage from gems behind that. Yeah, Um, so I think there's a lot of you know, and that's a really obvious example of a a way you might want to order the elements in your deck and. But I think all the different combinations and elements have uh s- similar uh considerations to make, so you know if in your hand you know you you have only gems right mm-hmm. uh to play and you you really want to play them for whatever reason there's a lot of 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 scenarios where that would come up like maybe you have you you want to check and draw but you'd rather early in the game draw a full hand of seven cards instead of just adding four new ones so you want to play the gems down first if it's really early in the game and you don't have a wall up for them yet that might be an opportunity where you want to put three gems together in the same row right forcing your opponent to not want to contest that because of the potential massive damage output and kind of creating that inherent shield that way as opposed to you know, sacrificing the potential advantage of having a shielded gem by just putting them in the front of three different rows where your opponent can pick them off and get that benefit, which is the gem's downside of rewarding an extra point to your opponent when they are defeated.
1: And when you're playing three, then the decision of what values are you playing in what order comes into play, which I think is really interesting because sometimes the right answer is going to be, okay, I want my high value ones in the back. Because let's say your opponent has frost and they're attacking the back or ice, they're attacking the back directly. I want them to be attacking my seven. So it would take three hits from an ice, not my five crystal, which would only take two hits, one damage to get damage on it. And then the four will finish it off. And I think that that's another way in which the decisions become really interesting in this game because of the you have a ton of fives in all four of your elemental decks. We talked about that earlier. We only have two sevens, but this and the sevens are really strong defensively. um, But sometimes, so you play maybe you want to play down a lot of your sevens early. but then are you going to be able to save a seven to call all of your sevens on the board at once?
0: Yeah. Or do yeah. you want to
1: play it out for defense? Sevens are more defensive. Sixes are more in between. Fives are more offensive. And you have more of them.
0: Which is such a an like a, a interesting, emergent yeah. design thing. Again, right? Going back to your point, like nothing in this game says offense versus defense, but just by virtue of... You know, and, and we should just be clear the elements work exactly the same way five, six, and sevens. They have the exact same uh, abilities on the card. They do the same amount of damage. It's just a difference in life and a difference in the number that you have in your deck. And by virtue of having fewer sevens, they are harder to activate, which makes yep. them have lesser offensive capabilities than your fives, which allows you to figure out over the course of play that's like, okay, these are defensive. Elements, even though the game never tells you that.
1: Yep. And your fives, you really want you want a lot of them on the board. You want to rush the board with fives, but they're fragile. Uh just the way that the activated damage from other cards works is that typically they can only take two or three hits. And frankly, given the way that the turn the turn structure works, that's just not enough in a lot of cases without things protecting them in the front. Because by the time you get them down, if someone has two or three cards in one rift that they can call all at once, they can just blast it off the board and you're not really making any progress or your progress towards a single column becomes more inefficient. If your opponent can deal with it directly, Jake, I want to pivot because we've, I think we've done a really good job talking about the depth of these decisions and there's so much depth here. Um, But I want to ask you a question, which is based on the values of the cards here. How much are you thinking about what cards not just can you take out on your opponent's line, but should you take out on their opponent's line? Like counting sevens, right? That, could they call a seven or counting the number of elements roughly that could be left? How much do you do that in your play? Oh. I feel like I should be doing it more. Yeah, I, I honestly not, think
0: like counting, like card counting, I think is yeah. is something that will become a huge part of this game at like high levels because it's pretty easy to do but i feel like that's not something i've spent any time really thinking about my plays yeah like i just don't feel like i have the bandwidth for that i think what i'm thinking about more still is just trying to use my cards efficiently and by that i mean like finding ways to like a hugely important rule in this game that i've found uh over the course of play that again didn't seem like much at the beginning is that you don't deal excess damage. So if mm. if there's one, if I've dealt five damage to Brendan's six power element and I have a gem ready to unload on it, then I'm dealing four damage to that one. And that three damage is just like completely wasted efficiency. So I think what I'm trying to think about more as I'm playing more recently is placing my elements in a way that I'm just dealing like the right amount of damage to each one. And I think like doing that is a great way to gain an efficiency advantage over your opponent as well. Uh, but yeah, I mean like to your point, I think we have talked about the deafness game a lot and I hope it's really obvious to listeners like that. We're just scratching the surface of I think what is yeah. capable in this game um, and, and in this system and, and to have all that in a game that literally takes five minutes to teach. Is pretty cool
1: yeah i don't think that every game we cover on the show could sustain a 25 episode like sub podcast series uh but i think Rift force could i, I think we too. could do yeah um and that's yeah that's amazing
0: yeah and i think like of all the games that we've played so far, Rift Force is, like, the only one, like, oh, I can't, so it's in uh, Alpha on Board Game Arena right now. Oh, you
1: want the rankings.
0: Yeah, like, I was, like, when this comes in, like, I might try and, like, see if I can, like, climb up the ladder yeah. in this, which is not something I always want to do. But, like, this is just my type of game, and I think, uh, you know, just, like, it scratches that same kind of, like, competitive itch that Keyforge did for me or, or Magic before that. Awesome.
1: Yeah, no, I totally agree. And the depth feels like it's there. Yeah. Okay, for listeners, here are the things we're going to cover before the end of the show. We're going to talk about one other cool little design quirk. We're going to do our tier list live. And then we'll talk about the expansions a little bit. And then I think that that will be the rest of the show. Maybe some closing thoughts. But one thing, so that's just like where your head can be at for going through the rest of the show. Tier lists are coming. Jake, one thing that I think is really interesting about this game is the design of the values. So you have, and what I mean by this is whenever anyone's designing a card game with numbers on them, there's always a consideration of like what value should be in the deck and what what's the proportion of those values to the values. We've covered that a little bit uh, with the five, sixes, and sevens. Great. We talked about it. That leads to interesting nuance. But there's then in Rift Force, there's the design of the damage potential of the elemental types that's layered over this, that I think is part of the magic of this game. So, you have from there, you have damage uh, potential of one through four, where f- well, one feels like nothing like, what am I doing with this stupid pea shooter? And four is like, wow, I'm just haymakers all over the place. And I think that the value design here of one through four locking into five through seven. Because the, that's how they relate, right? Damage is always relating to fives through sevens, and then elements are relating to the one through four. I think that there's something about that math that's really, really well designed, um, in how they combine to lead to interesting decisions, right? Where four plus one can take out fives, but four plus one can't take out sixes. Um, four plus two can take out a six, but for a seven, you need four plus three. There's very few things that deal three damage. I think that there's lots of interesting ways that these numbers are inter overlapping that leads to some of the depth that we're talking about. That I'm not. I don't think we need to dwell on here, and we won't talk about why. But I think that just the fact that this exists is interesting and well designed.
0: Yeah, and and, and it, it does like tremendously interesting things with how the. Abilities of different elementals interact with it. Like, for example, I've found recently, this is short, I promise, but like water and fire interact really well together. And I think it's because those two, mm. uh, those two elements together allow you to match, make a equal five, six, or seven in a lot of interesting and efficient ways. So like one yeah. fire and two waters, that's seven. Uh, two fires and a water moving over a lane that also equals seven, right? Yep. A fire plus a water that's five. Uh, a fire yeah. plus a water plus a moving water that's six, right? Yeah. So even though, yeah, and and that's not something like that intuitively you would see like as those two powers like fitting together in the same way that like thunder and ice does as like augmenting the power, but it just augment it's like augmented by the system itself
1: yeah which this is a concept that i feel like is similar to card advantage in magic which is that it's abstract but seems really important to Rift force which is just like overall efficiency like what you were saying jake earlier of like if you use a crystal to deal one damage you're wasting the potential of that card you you've thrown away the advantage that you have of dealing more damage And you're getting less. So I feel like if there's one takeaway for like, I'm listening to this episode and I want to play Rift Force better, I feel like that's a really good one is think about overall efficiency of what you're doing, which is like maybe the most obvious takeaway in a board game podcast ever. Like, yeah, duh, you should be taking into account obvious efficiency, Brendan. But I feel like in Rift Force, it begs repeating because it does really matter. Going over represents waste and you don't have room for it in such a tight competition. Yeah. Okay, Jake, here's how I think we should do do our rate, our rankings to get our tier list, okay? So there's 10 guilds, uh-huh. so let's each give our ranking for them in alphabetical order, and we each get to assign a 1 or a 10. Does that work for you?
0: I don't understand what that okay, means. Okay, so like,
1: I'll say air, and you'll say like, oh, that's a 7, or that's a oh, out that's 5. Ten. Out of out 10. Out of 10. Yep. Does that work? Uh, okay, sure. You can't see the ratings, so how are we going to do this? Do you have a piece of paper in front of you?
0: I have a sticky note. Okay.
1: Great. So write down the numbers that you've used. And let's start with number one, I think. Okay. I'll go first. Which is best or worst? Which is best. Okay. I think Crystal is the best in the game.
0: Okay. I think Shadow is the best in the game.
1: Okay. So Crystal gets a one from me and a one. Uh, Shadow gets a one from Jake. And then we're going to sum up all of these And then the lowest value will be our top tier and it will go down. (laughs) Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. What's your two? Uh,
0: My two is going to be earth. What? Yeah.
1: You've gone up a lot on that. That's because our meta is
0: shifting. I know. It's like things are shifting so much for me right now that it's like kind of pointless, but it's still fun as a point in time.
1: Yeah, we're we're gonna go quick. It's not too too serious. I think light is actually number two. I really like light, so I'm doing light as two. What's your three?
0: I'm gonna go gem.
1: Okay, gem at three. Interesting. I'm taking it too early in the draft against you. Um, my three. What do I think? I think ice is really good. So I'm gonna just go three on ice.
0: Four for me is water.
1: I think four for me is earth.
0: Uh, five. I'll 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 put ice here at five.
1: Okay, I feel good about that. And. My four is going to be water. your fire. My five is going to be water. <laughs>
0: okay. Uh, six. Uh, what is remaining for me?
1: So you have th- to choose from thunder, plant, light, fire, and air. I'm going to go fire. Okay. Fire is going to get a six for you. Uh, for me, for the six, you're going to be shocked. I'm going plant. No, I think plant that's... is really powerful. <laughs> you
0: Don't do it. <laughs> All right. Going on to seven, seven light.
1: Wow. That's a huge delta for us. Uh, light for me is two and seven for Jake. What the heck? Okay, I'm going for se- uh, seven for me. I'm going to go with Thunder or Thunderbolt. I think it's literally Thunderbolt in the rule book, which is funny. That's hilarious. Um, so eight for you, Jake. I'm guessing it's not plant. So it's uh, either air or thunder.
0: It's, I'm like really debating about this. I think I'm going to go with air.
1: I don't like either okay. of them. <laughs> <laughs> but there's three left. Okay. my um, well, yeah. eight? A- oh no i i'm putting eight as shadows which is just wrong i've oh, messed you, up
0: you messed everything up
1: i messed everything up right. okay wait <laughs> what's <laughs> this your nine is the best
0: segment ever we've ever done <laughs> yeah. all, this long. all We're right okay all right are you gonna adjust it are you gonna switch it i'll
1: adjust it i'll adjust it okay
0: at some point so yeah. nine for me is gonna be thunderbolt
1: okay which makes your 10 yeah
0: i'm gonna go i'm gonna go eight thunderbolt nine air <laughs> I'm switching. Okay.
1: Eight thunderbolt, nine air, and Eight ten plant, nine air, ten. Okay, my nine is going to be fire. That feels low. And ten air. I really, I do think air is the worst. Air um, can't
0: be the worst when plant literally no, exists. No.
1: Okay, I'm adjusting mine really quickly because I'm slotting in shadows at four. Okay. So everything else is going down by one. Do you want me to read out our individual rankings, or let's just sum them up?
0: No, let's just do the consensus decision space version one tier list for the elements in rift force
1: so our number one combined best no let's do it the opposite way we're going lowest to best okay so tier 10 i guess it's the lowest here okay so we have air yeah as the worst then plant then thunder
0: i feel like you gotta like chunk it out like d tier air, air okay. plant and thunder i would feel good about those together there
1: okay I'm doing... So the first two are going to be D tier. So plant and air are D tier. Now we're running into C tier. Okay. And we have three Cs. Thunderbolt, then fire, then water. Though, no, based on how we have the spread of numbers, I'm bumping water up to a B. Okay, so, perfect. Yeah, I like Fire and B. thunderbolt are C. Then water is B, light is B, and ice is B.
0: Okay, I can get behind all that.
1: I think actually also just based on how the numbers broke, Jake, earth is also B. Okay, uh, It's seven, eight, nine, ten, and then we have shadows, and then crystal as an Interesting. A
0: tier,
1: yeah, so yeah. That is
0: good. That makes sense.
1: Yeah. Okay. So we'll publish this on the Discord because I know that listening to this in audio podcast <laughs> form might not have turned out exactly how I'd hoped it would. But I'll say it again one more time here, from top to bottom this time, and then we're gonna post a visual version. But in A S tier is crystal. I don't really know if it's S, but that's semantic. Then shadows, then earth. Then ice, then light, then water, then fire, then thunderbolt plants, and we have air is worst. But Jake, you admit we're not using air as well as we could use air. There's potential there. It's for when metas uh like it's you you can damage metas that have gone are consistently going wide.
0: I think it's the the opposite, actually. I think it's Why? good against people stacking up in one row because you can still chip away at them from huh. the side
1: oh from not moving into it yeah exactly
0: like if, if you have a bunch of crystals in a row and i don't want to touch that like potentially being able to still kill one of those crystals by yeah. chipping away and then finishing it off with uh, a moving one is is pretty valuable i think um, i really so i think i think they're it's good against like uh i would like to have air against earth and crystal For example, interesting
1: because Earths naturally stack up because you want it when you play Earth, you want to be able to do three damage by playing three Earths together, right? Yeah, um, awesome. I think that was fun. Yeah, do you the expansion for Rift Force is not out yet, but there is an expansion coming that's adding 10 new guilds, which I think is really impressive from a design perspective. I think designing such uh Narrow and straightforward, but interesting powers is not easy. So there's a really cool BGG thread that I, maybe we'll put in the show notes, and if not, you can definitely find it in our Discord, and we'll link it to you. Um, but it's adding things like Jake. I got to read these; they're yeah, so good. They're wild. Beast lava. Okay, we're we're on track a little bit. Beast is kind of funny. Love. Heck yeah. Magnet. Oh yeah. <laughs> Acid. Yeah. Okay. We're elemental ish ish. Sand. Music. Hell yeah. Okay, wait, I have to read and then magic, which is, aren't all of these magical? Um, But the power for music, Jake, this is wild. Deal two damage to the first enemy in this location. If that enemy is destroyed by music, play it to your side of the rift at an adjacent location. So you can add powers to your board that weren't in your original four and then you have to call their value to use them? Yes. That's so That's
0: great. really cool. Yeah, I, I love it. I, I'm super, super enthusiastic about the potential to add to this game. I think more elements is probably only going to be better. Though my only fear is that, like, I think one of the strengths of this game is just how straightforward these elemental yeah. powers are. And as you add more complexity to it, you know, it might just slow down the game. And I, I think this is a game that like, you want to be playing it at like a snappy pace to enjoy yeah. it. I mean, this is, we should be clear, like this is a game that you can easily play in 15 minutes. And I think if, if Rift Force becomes a 30 minute game, because there's a lot of complexity with the elementals and already obviously there's a lot of depth and complexity to the decision-making, then I'm not really interested in it in the same way anymore. Um So I, I think that is like, my only hesitation with like a full-blown like hell yeah crazy powers but at the same time hell yeah crazy powers <laughs> totally
1: yeah no i think it'll be i i also think the just due to the combinatorial math aspect the if things start to feel samey for you in playing with these 10 adding 10 more things will never feel samey again yeah there's just no chance and also
0: i think like it's like each one of these coming into the system reinvigorates all the old ones that you're familiar with. Like I think beast was like when it it can move around and it does like extra damage when it moves, if it's already damaged. So like that's obviously good with fire, which does three damage to your opponent's element and one damage to any of your own in that row behind it. So like all of a sudden, like fire not being like exclusively a drawback, That's like, you know, completely changes that potential.
1: Yeah. I think that one of the, maybe for my closing thought, Jake, one of the core strengths of Rift Force over some of the other games in the genre that we've talked about um, and the real thing that sets this game apart from things like Air, Land, and Sea or Lost Cities is that in my mind, those games are incredible. But one issue with those games is that certain hands you're dealt in those games can be losing hands that you cannot win from. So the design fix in those situations was to build a structure that makes it such that the impact of any one round isn't the deciding factor in who wins that game. In Airland and Sea, you have a concession mechanism and you're going to play to 21 points and get a certain number of points based on how many rounds you win. In Battle in Lost Cities, you play three rounds and the winner overall with the most points is winning uh, just to help balance that out. Riff Force doesn't need it, and that's because I think you have so much agency over the hander dealt and there's so many ways to interact with the hander dealt. So for me, the standout thing about this system is it is of this genre, but overcomes one of the core pitfalls and for that, I think it makes me admire it tremendously as yeah. a design
0: I agree with that I think it i, I should say i i I agree that like with the caveat that I'm not sure I yet fully understand how important the hand you yeah. delta is. Um, yep. and
1: or the, the cards you draw.
0: There are de- exactly, and there have definitely been like feel bad moments where you draw five cards and just need a six, and
1: yep. you yeah. you
0: still don't have a six to activate, and that might be just a a losing board state at that point yeah. when yeah. previously you were in in the match. Uh, and similarly, I think it's really helpful in this game if in your first hand you have two sets of three elements of the same that value. you can play to the um, board. So, yeah. it could, you know, it could be three of the same element and then also three fives independent from that. Um, yeah. Because then you can... It, it's really nice, I think, to play down six elements as your first two plays and then draw yeah. six new cards. Uh, and, and some hands afford that and some hands don't to an extent where, like, I would be very happy, like, if this ever became, like, a game for like, a tournament game, like, I would add a a mulligan rule Like, I don't know why, like, why not? Um, yeah So I think, I think there is, yeah, I agree with you, but also like there still is that card gamey randomness that, uh, it's going to be some, the luck of the draw is always going to matter. And I think that's fun. And like figuring out ways to like work around that and still win games totally possible is part of like the fun and excitement that comes in the best of this dueling card game
1: genre. Those were really good caveats. And I just want to say Jake's awesome. And I'm really glad he's here because i take back what i said it minimizes some of the issues yeah yeah uh
0: okay so my final thought would be i didn't actually i know i hate ending on like a negative note but we never got into like my kind of main criticism with this game which is that i think like it it this is all mitigated by the short length of play but like there's no comeback mechanism here at all and like once you're down in a game of riff force um it's you're out. Over. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, you, yeah. there's no coming. Like in in Magic, uh, the Gathering, like you can play to like specific outs, or there's always the glimmer of hope that maybe your opponent all of a sudden will start drawing a bunch of lands, or not the lands they need, or whatever. That's gonna kind of like keep you in the game. That doesn't really happen in Rift Force. Like, and a lot of times if you're down, you know, three full points, if you know, I don't know that I've really seen any comeback from that as well and I, and I mean like after a round like not like okay you're down three and then you get two points on your turn next turn to get down one but like you're passing back to your opponent down three it's like yeah that you maybe can just concede at that point
1: i definitely had games where i've been down by more than three and come back but not come back in one right like uh, you which is what make you're it saying close. Yeah, yeah right you can make it close but that doesn't feel good no. They feel like slogs.
0: Yeah, so I yeah. think that, you know, and I think that's just something, like, inherent in the system that it's just everything, it, it's just snowballing. Like, if I'm ahead yeah. because I'm killing your elements, that means, like, I have more presence on the board than you also, yeah. <laughs> you know, so... I- it,
1: yeah. And you've leveraged the chief response to that from what everyone will be, which is that it's a 50 minute game, just play it again. Which is yeah. Yeah, fine. for okay. sure. Yeah. We're which here is with why, you. like, if this is a tournament
0: yeah. game, let's add that mulligan and best two out of three, no problem. You could get that done in yeah. fifty minute rounds. So that's perfect. Final
1: rift to nation. Yeah. See us there. Yeah, yeah. that's right. <laughs> Chris <laughs> gems only. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> can you imagine how bad that would be? <laughs> yeah. will be crystal riff force. <laughs> Okay, Jake. Well, this has been an awesome episode. Um, I think either way, our follow-up is going to be a really nice companion piece, whether we're talking about Lost Cities, which is sort of hearkening back in a lot of ways. Like, it's clear that this game is in some ways inspired by the roots of games like Lost Cities. So I think that that could make a really interesting comparison. Or we're going to talk about depth and size of decision spaces, which, yeah, we're probably trying to bite off more, way more than we can chew with a What We Talk About episode about both those things. But there's benefits to talking about them both, so we'll do it. And then if we want to talk about them both more again in the future, we will. Uh, So either way, listener, you're in luck. Decision Space is going to continue to be an awesome podcast. I can promise you that. I really appreciate you listening and listening uh, to this long episode of Decision Space. We've been going kind of long lately. If you enjoy that, let us know. If you don't enjoy that, let us know. I know some people have been like, if you guys go over 60 minutes, my... I, I don't like the show anymore, which yeah. is like totally fair. I, I've been there with podcasts and been like, why are they still talking? Like they said everything they did to say by the 45 minute mark. But I hope you don't feel that way about us. If you
0: are one of the select few that made it all the way to the end of this podcast, you are the best. You are a true fan. And we are so grateful to you and everyone else who takes a little bit of time out of your day to listen to Decision Space until next week. You know, our links are in the description of this podcast and yeah I think I'll be
1: continuing to
0: play Riff Force quite a bit at the end of after this podcast recording which is not always the case so that's always a good sign
1: likewise I felt like I was going to take a break and then I feel inspired to come back in and like dust off the old riffs, riff rocks the, the theming is pretty light but that's okay I'm going to dust off the riff rocks and get back onto to the four I don't know well we'll see you next week it's going to be good have a great weekend y'all bye, bye.